Thank you for joining us for the Tucson Baptist Church podcast with Pastor Brent Armstrong. This podcast features the messages from the teaching and preaching ministry at our church. Tucson Baptist Church is located in Tucson, Arizona, and we are committed to loving God, growing together, and reaching our community. If you would like to learn more about our ministry, please visit TucsonBaptist.com. We pray that today's message is an encouragement to you. Take our Bibles and turn to Revelation chapter number 8. Revelation chapter number 8. You have your handout, your sermon notes, and I trust that you would take good notes and maybe use these notes to uh, follow along in your personal devotion this coming week. Revelation chapter number 8. We do have a lengthy passage of scripture out of honor and respect to the reading of God's word. Let's stand together. You will read the even verses. I will read the odd verses as we normally do. We're going to read Revelation chapter 8, verse 6 through 13. And so you will begin in verse number 6 together. Let's read this together. And the angels, or seven angels. The first angel sounded, and there followed hail and fire mingled with blood. And they were cast upon the earth, and the third part of the trees was burnt up, and all the green grass was burnt up. And the third part of the creatures which were in the sea and had life died, and the third part of the ships were destroyed. And the name of the stars called Wormwood, and the third part of the waters became Wormwood, and many men died of the waters because they were made bitter. And I beheld and heard an angel flying through the midst of heaven, saying with a loud voice, Woe, 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 to the inhabitants of the earth by reason of the other voices of the trumpet of the three angels which are yet to sound. Father, when we get into your word, there are often portions of scripture that are extremely heavy. This morning's passage is no doubt a warning for us. To ensure that we have a relationship with you, to forewarn others of the impending doom that's coming to this earth. So, Father, may we, with willing ears, open hearts, be receptive to the message this morning. May thy Holy Spirit have freedom to move in and about, call people, men and women, boys and girls, to you. Lord, would you bless this time together around your word in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. I've told you before that there's coming a time on earth like the earth has never known before. A time of horror, a time of devastation, a time of destruction, a time of death, a time of dismay. Jesus Christ said this, there was never, ever, ever a time like this. In Matthew chapter 24 and verse number 21, Jesus said this, For then shall be great tribulation, such as not uh, since the beginning of the world to this time, no, nor ever shall be. In other words, Jesus is saying this. There's never been a time in all of the world like it's about to happen. 
Jesus said there's never been a time like we're talking about this morning. This is a time period, a seven-year time period called the Tribulation and the Great Tribulation. Now, in studying the book of Revelation, here's some things that we've already learned in this study. We've learned that there's a book. More accurately, it is a scroll. And in this scroll, it's rolled up. And in this scroll, there are seven seals. And we've been studying the opening of these seven seals. And we learned uh, the first six seals are very, very specific. We've now come to the seventh seal. And in the first six seals, we've learned about horses of the Great Tribulation, the white horse, the red horse, the black horse, and the pale horse. We've talked about the martyrs who were beheaded for the cause of Jesus Christ. We've talked about ecological disasters that are going to come into the earth. Now, as we finish last week's message, we come to heaven and there's this space of time when there is silence. In fact, Revelation 8 and verse number 1 says this, And when he had opened the seventh seal, there was a silence in heaven about the space of a half hour. So what is this talking about anyway? Silence in heaven. I think some of us, we've lived in the Midwest and we've heard that ominous warning to be prepared for the tornado. And the weatherman will make a prediction. You're in a time of danger. There's a tornado alert. There's a warning coming. And often what precedes a tornado is a period of silence, calm. What does the weatherman He doesn't know what he's talking about. Why did he say there's going to be a tornado before the tornado hits? Uh, Or perhaps it's the silence in a courtroom when the jury has been out and it comes back and the jury is about to deliver its verdict. And as they're entering the courtroom, the courtroom is ominously quiet while the judge and those in the courtroom watch the jury re-enter. Or perhaps some other ominous silence uh, that you can think about. That's the silence that we're talking about in Revelation chapter 8 and verse number 1. It's referred to as a silence in heaven. And then there comes the opening of the seventh seal. Notice in Revelation 8 and verse number 2, the Bible says, And I saw the seven angels which stood before God, and to them were given seven trumpets. So as to not be confusing, please allow me to remind you that a trumpet is used for many things in the Bible. Uh, It's used to gather together a convocation. It's used to announce perhaps the coronation of a king. But also the trumpet was sounded as an alarm to gather to war very much like a, a siren today or like an air raid siren or like an alarm that goes off before the tornado that we just spoke about. Before these seven angels sound, these seven trumpets, God puts as if it were a parenthesis. And we learn a lesson from John about prayer before he talks about the trumpets. Look with me in Revelation chapter 8, verse number 3. The Bible says, and another angel came. Now we already know that there are seven angels carrying seven trumpets. And John says, oh, wait a second. There's another angel. Here's here's another angel. Uh, These seven trumpets come out of the seventh seal. It sounds kind of complicated, but stay with me. I'll do my best to explain it this morning. Just before these seven angels blow their seven trumpets of judgment, there's another angel who comes. And in verse number three, it says, And another angel came and stood at the altar, 
having a golden censer. Now what is a censer? That's a receptacle uh, to hold incense. It's made of gold. So in other words, it's a golden censer. And there was given unto him much incense, that he should offer it with the prayers of all saints upon the golden altar. Now he's referring to a specific location called a tabernacle. In the tabernacle was a golden altar, and they burned incense in this golden uh, altar. So, and the Bible says, which was before the throne. So uh, this lets us know that this is not a tabernacle here on earth. It is a tabernacle located in heaven. The one on earth is just a pattern of the one that if you know Jesus Christ as personal Lord and Savior that you'll see one day in heaven. Notice verse 4. And the smoke of the incense which came with the prayers of the saints ascended up before God out of the angel's hand. And the angel, this is the another angel, this is not one of the seven, uh, filled it with the fire of the altar, cast it into the earth, and there were voices and thunderings and lightnings and an earthquake. And the seven angels, which had the seven trumpets, prepared themselves to sound. No, Now, this is parenthetical. Before we can address the seven trumpets and the judgments that will be uh, hurled at this earth, there's a lesson here that John writes specific about prayer. How many of you believe in prayer this morning? It's very real. Do you know that we can talk to the God of heaven through his son, Jesus Christ? The Bible says, it teaches us that incense in the Bible is a type, it's a picture, it's an illustration of prayer. And when you pray, your prayers go up to heaven like a sweet smell, a sweet fragrance in the nostrils of God. And that's what it typifies there in the tabernacle in the Old Testament. The priest would come in, he would sprinkle up up on the altar and the coals of the altar this incense and it would burn up and it would go before God. This illustrates, this typifies your prayers even today. Have you ever prayed when you didn't really feel like praying? How many of you have ever prayed when you didn't really feel like praying? That should be most of us. Sometimes we have to take ourselves by the back of the neck and say, it's time to pray. I mean, I don't want to pray. Sometimes we feel like it, and sometimes we don't feel like it. But I want to say, whenever we even, we don't feel like it, we are to pray. Because your feelings have very little to do with whether or not you should pray. Pray when you feel like it. Pray when you don't feel like it. And then if you don't feel like praying, you come to him with a worth of his incense. Here's the priest, and he's mingling the prayers of the saints with the incense. What is that incense? That incense is specifically the worth of Jesus Christ. Come with you both hands filled with the incense, the worth of Jesus Christ and his, and it's his presence that make your prayers powerful. And, uh, and it doesn't matter how you feel about it. Every one of us, we've been instructed to pray. Have you prayed today? Did you pray about this service, or did you frantically uh, just do everything you can to, to get here on time? Have you prayed today? Prayer is a wonderful thing. So here's the lesson on prayer that John's trying to teach us. Just pray in the name of Jesus. When you pray in the name of Jesus, you're mingling your prayer with the incense of Jesus' worth. And that's a sweet smell in the nostrils of Almighty God. And it's a wonderful, it's a beautiful thing. If we only could capture the significance of God wanting us to talk to Him through prayer. 
Well, the Bible says he fills this censer with uh, coals from the fire of judgment. And over here is the fire of worship, and that's the golden altar. And then there's the brazen altar, and he fills it with the same censer. And he fills it now with the coals from the altar, and he takes it, this mighty angel. And the Bible says he flings it to the earth. The Bible says there's voices speaking, there are trumpets sounding, and there are earthquakes shaking this world. And there are thunders reverberating here. Calamity is about to happen on planet earth. We see that there are two altars. There's the altar of incense. And there's the altar of judgment. This altar of judgment represents the death of Jesus Christ for our sins. And every Old Testament altar spoke of Jesus <coughs> excuse me, dying on the cross. Why, why would the death of Jesus be? Bring judgment. Oh, listen to me specifically and carefully this morning. If you do not give your heart to Christ, if you are not willing to get saved, if you are not willing to turn from your sin, if you are not willing to receive Jesus Christ, the very sacrifice that is meant to be a blessing will become a curse in your life. For I'm here to tell you that should the rapture take place on this day, the church will be removed from this earth, and you who have yet to trust Jesus Christ will be left behind. And the very death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ will be of none impact to you because you'll be left behind to experience the curse of those who rejected Jesus Christ. I tell you this morning that the gospel is a two-edged sword. It is a saber of life unto life, or it is a saber of death unto death. If the death of Jesus Christ does not save you, the death of Jesus Christ will condemn you. Now listen, this morning, it's the very blood that will testify against you. And so these people have refused Jesus. They have spurned him. They've ignored him. They've hated him. They have castigated him. And yet he died for their sins. Now the Bible says, John, looking into the future, looking into this time period for our learning, he says this, where he, at this time that, that, that there's going to be a time when this angel reveals all of the horrors that are about to take place on planet earth. This brings us to the meat of today's message. And with the meat of today's message, allow me to, to share with you trumpet number one, and we are often intrigued, we are often uh, look forward to prophetic messages because we just want to know what's going to happen. So that we're not confused, perhaps you've been visiting, we spent a time period preaching through the first six seals. The six seals are very six specific judgments that's going to happen on planet Earth. We were introduced to the seventh seal last week. The seventh seal was so amazingly horrible that it's broken down into seven trumpets. So the seven trumpets come out of the seventh seal. Seal number one is this. It's called land devastation. Land devastation. The first trumpet sounds, and that is judgment upon the land and the things that grow on earth. And there will be catastrophic land devastation. In our text we read in Revelation 8 and verse number 7, and we learned about this first trumpet. This first trumpet is what? It is hail, and it is fire mingled with the blood of both man and beast. Now what is this? What caused this? Could it be a nuclear bomb explosion? Is there a symbolic meaning here? I want to remind you that the book of Revelation is filled with symbols. What could the grass and the trees stand for? Well, symbolically, 
They speak of leaders and people. To understand this, we would go back to the Old Testament in the book of Isaiah. Isaiah 40 and verse 6 and 7 says, The voice cried, and he said, What shall I cry? And the, all flesh is grass. All the goodliness thereof is as the flower of the field. The grass withereth. The flower fadeth. Because the Spirit of the Lord bloweth upon it. Surely the people is grass. Now when the trumpet sounds, there is a devastation upon the grass. That speaks of humanity. The peoples that are living still here on planet earth during this seven year tribulation period. The, the meaning of this trumpet is quite, quite straightforward. Among other things, the earth's food supply is destroyed because the land is devastated. My friend, as we said a week ago, statistically speaking, in first world countries, also in third world countries, it takes only missing nine meals for absolute anarchy to break out. This is going to be a horrible time on earth when people are going to experience starvation unlike any other time period in history. Imagine what life will be like when there is no food because the ground is unable to produce fruit and vegetables, grain, wheat, potatoes, and the like. This is just the beginning. Remember, we've already examined six devastating seals that's going to be poured out on earth. Now there's going to be a whole nother round unleashed on planet earth. The opening of the seventh seal is so terrific that we have to break it into subcategories. And this first one is land devastation. Followed by trumpet number two. Trumpet number two, the angel steps up and reveals that there's going to be a, a judgment on aquatic life. Aquatic life. The second trumpet sounds. Judgment comes upon the oceans and the things that live in the sea. We read in verses 8 and 9 of this chapter, and the second angel sounded, and as it were a great mountain. It doesn't say was a great mountain, but as it were a great mountain. It's symbolism. The Bible goes on to uh, tell us that this could be literally an erupting volcano, a burning mountain, burning with fire. The, 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 the burning uh, volcano spews itself into the sea. Most likely the sea referred to here is the Mediterranean Sea. This is the sea uh, that, is, that everyone was familiar with during Bible times. Perhaps, that, uh, what it mean, perhaps that what, that's what it means, but I believe there's always a deeper meaning because of the symbolism that we learn and understand in the book of Revelation. In the Bible, a mountain speaks of kingdoms. For example, Babylon is spoken of as a mountain. Jeremiah 51 and verse 25, God says, Behold, I'm against thee, O destroying mountain. Today, modern Iraq is Babylon. And God called Babylon in that day a destroying mountain. Um, this is a mountain he speaks of here that destroys. And he says, and I will stretch out mine hand upon thee. I'll roll thee down with the rocks and I will make thee a burnt mountain. It sounds very familiar to what we find here in the book of Revelation. The mountain is cast into the waters. And well, what do the waters stand for? The waters stand for a wicked and a restless people. The prophet Isaiah said in Isaiah 57 and verse number 20, but the wicked are like the troubled sea when it cannot rest, whose waters cast up mire and dirt. So a literal volcano during the great tribulation, I see no reason why not to believe that. That's what the Bible says. A deeper spiritual significance? Absolutely. God is saying 
that this wicked, violent, Babylonish kingdom of Antichrist is going to bring great trouble to the wicked people who are left, like the troubled sea when it cannot rest. My friend, you do not want to live during the seven-year tribulation period. The trumpet sounds again. We've seen trumpet number one. There's absolute land devastation. Trumpet number two sounds. And a third of all the aquatic life is killed. The devastation is so great that a third of all the ships are also destroyed. The third angel stands forward, lifts his trumpet, and in his trumpet he casts forth a trumpet of judgment called fresh water. Fresh water. The third trumpet sound. There's going to be a judgment upon the rivers and the springs and the fresh water that men have to drink here on planet earth. In verse number 11, in the name of the, uh, of the star is called wormwood. And wormwood here means bitterness, noxious. It means poison. Many men and women, boys and girls, will die during this time period. Uh, a great star from heaven burning as if it were a lamp. If an asteroid hit the earth, that's what this would be. We spoke of asteroids when we talked in chapter 6 last week. And I believe that there's going to be little asteroids that will fall into this atmosphere and the fresh waters. And indeed, many, many will die because of a lack of clean drinking water. But I want to remind you that Satan is often symbolized as a fallen star. And remember that the waters speak of people. Satan, he poisons the water of life. And he poisons human life. And he poisons society. Revelation 17 and verse number 15 says, And he saith unto me, The waters which thou sawest, where the whore sitteth, are peoples and multitudes and nations and tongues. So here is a fallen star that is poisoning the fresh waters of life. People and nations, and multitudes of people, and so forth. And because there is no fresh drinking water, there's going to be death and destruction here on earth. Uh, the trumpet reveals an attack on the fresh water. And we know that, that man can live without food for up to 40 days, but he can live no more than three or four without water. It's conceivable that this describes massive amounts of nuclear waste which will wash all over the world because of a nuclear bomb explosion. Make no mistake, the Bible does say this. Whatever the method that is used to disperse this, uh, this trumpet, make no mistake, the Bible says that one-third of the world's fresh water will be undrinkable. If that doesn't get bad enough, We've had the first angel blow its trumpet, the second angel blow its trumpet, the third angel blow its trumpet, but there are still yet four trumpets of devastation that's going to be poured out on this earth. We come to trumpet number four, and the fourth trumpet sounds now, and there's a judgment upon the skies and the very light that shines upon heaven, and we see darkness intensified, darkness intensified with trumpet number four. In Revelation chapter eight, there in verse 12 and following, we read this, and the fourth angel sounded, and a third part of the sun was smitten, a third part of the moon, a third part of the stars. And so as the third part of them was darkened, and the day shone not for a third part of it, and the night likewise, and I beheld an angel flying through the midst of heaven, saying with a loud voice these three words, woe, woe, woe. Do you remember the other time that 
there is a, a, a threefold word used to describe God. God is what? God is holy, holy, holy. Here's the second time in Scripture, only it's not used in a positive sense. It's used in a very negative sense. The angel blows its trumpet, and it says, Woe, woe, woe. If that doesn't send a shiver up your spine, I don't know what will. No wonder Jesus said, there's never been a time like it. The sun, the moon, the stars were darkened. It's as if somebody at the controls in this auditorium were to turn a controller and all the lights would go out. It would be dark. Now, what would cause this? Well, if volcanoes are literal and thrown into the sea, if there's a nuclear devastation, if there's atomic dust in the atmosphere, if there is smoke and there is fire from that smoke and there is dust and there is uh, storm clouds, indeed the light of the sun and the moon and the stars will be dim. Men who have hated the light and now they'll have their share of darkness in this. But symbolically, the sun and the moon and the stars, they speak of ruling authorities. And the pastors of the churches, for example, are spoken of in Revelation in those early verses as stars. What does he mean by this at this time period in Scripture, in Revelation chapter 8, when the sun, the moon, and the stars are darkened? Could it mean that there's a societal breakdown in structure and that literally everything is coming apart? Could it be that those God ordained to give guidance and light are now obliterated? They're gone. They're beheaded. There is no Holy Spirit. There is no light. And now the demons of the darkness of this world are in control. Satan himself becomes the prince of this world and he puts his antichrist there to brainwash the multitudes who will be brainwashed by the beast. Make no mistake, it'll be so dark on this earth that it'll be a, like a blanket of uneasiness which wraps every living soul in its clammy, uncomfortable grip. I'm saying that it'll be so dark, it'll be so miserable, that your nostrils will be burning from all of the, the fire and all of the toxicity of, of nuclear explosions. It is going to be a horrible time and you won't even be able to see. And the water that you try to drink, you won't even know if it's good for you or not. I'm reminded of Paul's teaching in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14 and 15 and 16. Please look at this. He said, Now thanks be unto God, which always causes us to triumph in Christ, and maketh manifest the savor of his knowledge by us in every place. For we are unto God a sweet savor or a fragrance of Christ in them that are saved and in them that perish. To the one we are the fragrance of death unto death, and to the other the fragrance of life unto life. And who is sufficient for these things? On Thursday morning of this past week, I was leaving Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. I'd been there to celebrate my grandmother's 104th birthday, and she said hi to all of you. We, uh, we send her the devotion book, and so she reads right along the devotions every week. She's still a sound mind to read those devotions, and, and, uh, and uh, she says I do a pretty good job. So I, that's, that's a good, good compliment. I was leaving there. It would probably be the last time I see my grandmother alive, and went through the, uh, the process of checking in and coming back to Tucson. I get on the airplane. I've heard it 100 times, if not 200 or 500 times I've heard it. Flight attendant, I got on, and he said these words. He said, this plane is headed for Houston. If Houston is not your next destination, please ring your call button. This plane is headed for Houston. Um, 
I'm telling you, precious friend, this world is headed for hell. This world is headed for judgment. And if you don't intend to go there, I urge you to ring your call button and get off the plane. And I urge you to give your heart and your life to Jesus Christ. And I urge you to trust him today. And my personal prayer is this. Lord, please don't let people sit here and listen to this and go out unmoved and unsaved. There's no need for that. Jesus suffered. He bled. He died. He opens his arms. He invites you and he says, come to me and I'll give you rest. I always... or the last, just when I started this series, the Lord just impressed upon me to put prayers at, at the end of my message. Would you take that prayer I put in there for you today? Would you look with me? I, I think sometimes we don't know how to pray. We don't know what to pray. We don't know if there's magic words I'm supposed to say. Or if I don't say the exact right words. May I just encourage you? Prayer is this. Talking to God. There is not A perfect prayer that gets you into heaven. Do you know what gets you into heaven? Is by faith, believing Jesus is who he said he is. That's what gets you into heaven. By acknowledging that I am a sinner in need of a Savior. Would you look with me and maybe this week sometime you could uh, even talk to the Lord if you're struggling with this. Or even this day you listen to this message and you're visiting a regular attender. Do not have a relationship. You say, I just got to know i got to know that I am not going to live through the tribulation period. Or if I die before the tribulation period, that I'm not going to be eternally separated from God in a place called hell. You could pray a prayer like this. Dear God, I know that you love me. Thank you for loving me. And I know that you want to save me, Jesus. You died uh, to save me and you promised to save me if I would trust you. Jesus, I do trust you. I believe you're the Son of God. I believe you paid for my sin with your blood on the cross. I believe that God raised you from the dead. And now I receive you as my Lord and Savior. Forgive my sin. Cleanse me. Come into my life. Take control of my life. And begin today to make me the person you want me to be. Jesus, give me the courage to make it public. Help me to never be ashamed of you. In your name I pray. Amen. It's an example. But if you want to learn how to pray... Take this prayer, learn how to pray, learn how to talk to the Lord. Every one of us should be talking to the Lord. Our prayers are a sweet fragrance in the very nostrils of God. What keeps you from praying? What keeps you from making that decision to trust Christ? What keeps you from doing right? You know what? It's pride. Pride keeps us From living the life we're supposed to live. Pride keeps us from trusting Christ because we're afraid of what might happen in our family. Pride keeps us from trusting Christ because we're afraid of what the ramifications might be in the workplace. That all of those things I'm involved in the workplace I wouldn't be able to be involved in. Pride says, listen, if I trust Jesus I'm not going to be able to party on Friday and Saturday night. May I just tell you in this prayer we said, Lord, help. Lord, Help me to become what you want me to be. That's what I want to be. I want to be what the Lord wants me to be. I want to be what he uh, takes this this lump of coal and he begins to to take this clay and he begins to mold it and make it and he breathes into me life. I want to be what he wants me to be. How about you? May I say this? 
If I was in the business world or serving in a church, serving him is the greatest thing in the world. It's the greatest thing. And if you're struggling with loneliness, you're struggling with a sin, you're struggling with how wicked and deplorable our country is, you're struggling with bitterness or anxiety, you're worrying about where your baby formula is going to come from, you're worried about this issue or that issue, may I just tell you, let's stop for a moment and let's give our lives to Jesus and say he is the most important reason for living and then he takes care of those details. Do you know what? I'm encouraged that there's some men and women who know Jesus Christ who are willing to run for office in this country. And you know what? They will, they, they'll make an impact. And, and we often look to them to, to, to turn our country around. Do you know what? how we turn our country around? Every one of us, we start praying and talking to the Lord. That begins with us. We want to see our church on fire? We pray and we talk to the Lord. We want to see our families reclaimed? We pray and we talk to the Lord. It's not somebody else's responsibility. It is your responsibility. Let's take the... Let's take the onus of that this morning and may all of us own up to our responsibility.